Welcome to the Beer Driven Devs podcast, where your hosts, Matt Goldman and Liam Elliott, share their experiences and passion for technology, software, and of course, beer. So be sure to grab yourselves a cold one and join them for this week's chat. Good evening, Liam. How you doing? Matt, I am buggered. <laughs> me too, man. I know exactly why. And <laughs> me too, for the same reason. That's it. It's been a big, big week. A couple of long runs this weekend didn't help the fact, but it was a good week. Yeah. I haven't got the excuse of the long runs, but I was in a car accident on the way home yesterday. So oh, no. it's not the no. same thing, but uh, I'll claim it. Look, you don't want a car accident at the best of times, but... You know, after a massive week, yeah, that's the last thing you want. Yeah, yeah. Just on a long journey home in the middle of a sweltering hot day with heavy traffic everywhere. It was the last thing I want. But look, no one was hurt, so it's all good. That was going to be my next question. Don't think I wasn't um, I wasn't going to ask that. Yeah, no. Nah. But no, it's fine. No, Nobody was hurt. Just uh, just some injured vehicles and some, some bruised egos, I think. Yeah. So we've been talking about how tired and exhausted we are. Do you want to share, I guess, the topic of tonight and the reason why we're all so tired? Yeah, so last week was NDC Sydney. It was. And I think uh, we would both agree that it's probably one of the highlights of the year in the developer calendar in Sydney. It was Absolutely. a really great week and we had a bunch of people. I mean, the speaker lineup this year was, was just fantastic. There was just a bunch of really, really great speakers from all mm-hmm. over the world flown in to talk about some awesome topics. Now, obviously, AI dominated many of the discussions. And obviously, mm-hmm. on the .NET side, there was lots of talk about Aspire, because that's a hot topic right now. And yep. we were fortunate enough to have David Fowler and a few other folks from Microsoft actually here talking. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You know, I look forward to the NDC week every year. Now, unfortunately, not like you, I wasn't able to get as much time for NDC work, you know, when work gets in the way. So I was there for Thursday. And a few of the hanging around events after work on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't get to spend as much time there as I wanted. But I guess to leave a little teaser in there, you and I managed to get, catch up and do a few recordings that day, which was awesome. We did. That was really good. I will yeah. just say, though, the, the reason you weren't able to spend as much time as you wanted to there was for actually quite a good reason. And for a reason worth celebrating, really. Why is that? Well, because your business is taking off and you've got the work coming <laughs> in. Well, that's true. I was able to actually afford a ticket on my own on my own dime. The company actually paid a ticket for me, so. which is always good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, I don't know about you, but I find conferences, particularly NDCs, awesome. Not just for the talks and the speakers, but the networking side of it, and Absolutely. being able to catch up with some old friends, making new friends in the industry. And having some amazing conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, in terms of, for me, catching up with people that I know that live overseas or in different states or even in New South Wales, just a bit further away, was awesome. Like, you know, we had multiple social networking events that you mentioned Wednesday night when you came and caught up. We had the cruise. There was mm. a, kind of a shinding on Thursday night, which you were there for a little bit of. And there was more things as well, which um, I didn't really participate in for various reasons. But even just around the conference floor, catching up with people was awesome. And then, as you mentioned, there's making new connections, meeting new people. And I have to tell you, some of the some of the people that I met and spoke to blew me away in yep. terms of their talks that they gave, uh, and then catching up with them about it afterwards. And some yep. of that 
we recorded and we'll have coming up soon. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, more on a friendly level, just catching up with people. And yeah, like I said, the things that people were showing off this year in terms of things people it's are amazing. doing. Yeah. I think the the other thing that I find amazing about NDC and the way that they do it all together is you generally find the speakers, regardless of whether they're, you know, well-known sort of touring the circuit, so to speak, and anyone else that's, you know, that's their first talk, they're walking the floor most of the time. And oh, they're all the um, all approachable you know there's no well that yes there's a speaker's lounge where they can get prepped but you know there's they're part of the community right they just want to be there they want to be with people they just want to talk to everyone that's right and they're just it's so approachable yeah but you know walking around richard campbell walking yeah. the floor chatting to him yeah richard campbell is always you know it was great catching up with him and chatting to him i didn't get to chat to him as much this year as i was hoping to Last time he was in town for NDC, I actually interviewed him for SSW TV about his talk on the future of energy, which was awesome. Yeah, I, I think I saw that one. That was good. Yeah. So I, I was due to do a follow-up with him on that this year, but I, I didn't have the time. Yeah, it was a busy week. Yeah, so just for the benefit of anyone who doesn't know, Monday, Tuesday, I spent two days teaching a workshop on .NET MAUI. Mm. And then on Thursday, I gave a talk also on .NET MAUI. So pretty much right up until midday Thursday, it was frantically preparing and refining and uh, getting things ready. I think I told you on Thursday that right up until basically when I delivered my talk, I was a little bit anxious about it because it's one that I've done before, but I've updated it and I've changed it and uh, modernized it a bit. Uh, And then on Wednesday, I did a bit of a test run through and found out that it was about 20 minutes too long, at least. So Thursday morning, I went through it again, just with a fine tooth comb, trying to figure figure out what I could cut back and, and how I could make it shorter and ended up adding four slides. <laughs> yeah, always the way. So I was going to ask, did you have any highlights, any talks that you wanted to shout out to? I think probably one of my favorites was Ed Gallagher's talk on Friday, which was, do you, I don't know if you remember, Liam, uh, maybe two or three years ago, I did a talk. Actually, this was for NDC as well. Although this was remote because it was during the COVID period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was called Cloudy with a Chance of Mobile.net Everywhere. It was basically looking at the very, very early previews of .NET Maui and presenting conceptually how you can run .NET code literally everywhere now. So on yeah. a, a mobile device, desktop, in the cloud, in your pocket, on your wrist, on your fridge, in your kegerator, right? Which was kind of yep. where I was going with it. And I, I built this demo, which was this DevHops thing that we've been speaking about for years. Mm-hmm. Most of the work, most of it was was very conceptual. So there were code demos and there was lots of it that worked, but there were some things that weren't working and were just kind of at the early proof of concept stage. So this guy took it not a step further. That, that's a massive understatement. He took it light years further and he did basically what I tried to do three years ago. He demonstrated literally .NET everywhere and he went through that diagram that Microsoft released, which is the one.net, which shows that you've got, I don't know, Unity for games and then Maui for mobile and desktop and then Azure for cloud and so on and so forth and all the different places you can run .NET and IoT and, and everything, right? And he mm. actually made every single one of those. And he, what he ended up building was a robotic arm connected to a Raspberry Pi. Yep. He then trolled with a Blazor app and then a Maui app and then using voice via AI, uh, cognitive services, and then in VR as well. And it was it was amazing. And I also spent a fair bit of time chatting to him uh, throughout the conference, actually, before, during, and after his talk. And he's a yep. really, really cool dude, really, really cool guy. Yeah, he, he's keen to see more of, of what he does. Mm. and to play with that, more of that stuff myself. In addition to that, there was there was just so much more. I mean, right the very first talk I went to, actually the first 
one I went to was the keynote, which was mind-blowing, actually. That was really good. I know. I'm, yeah, really disappointed I didn't get to see that because um, I've heard so many good things about that keynote. Yeah. But luckily enough, NDC will release those videos, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future. They will. They will. Yeah. So so we'll be able to share those eventually. But yeah, mm. I saw a report early on about uh, HTML, basically, and, and how we underutilize HTML, especially now with HTML5 and everything that you can do with it. Yep. Uh, and in particular, how you can optimize performance and accessibility. I've just got pages and pages of notes. Yep. Uh, another one on, oh, you know, I saw a fantastic talk on um, serverless C Sharp on AWS Lambda, and that was presented mm. Brandon Minnick, who we actually caught up with and spoke to a bit about this as well, and, and hopefully we'll have we'll have that on the on the podcast over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, that was um that was such a good conversation that we had with Brandon. Yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, Jason Taylor, uh, another just someone who it was, it was really fantastic to catch up with actually. Yeah, his um, week work. Did you ever work with him? Absolutely, yeah, quite oh, a lot. So he's um ex SSW two and. Such a nice guy, and he's done quite a lot in that clean architecture community. He has, yeah, yeah. So he he normally presents on clean architecture. He didn't this time, although he's got lots of talks on clean architecture available online everywhere, and he does do it frequently. I've actually taught his clean architecture workshop with him a few times. Oh, that's right, yep. Yeah, and I've worked with him on client work as well yeah. on, on a few, well, one or two things, and which was, which was a really great experience. He gave a talk this year on the Azure Developer CLI, which yeah. I don't think, but it, it's it's very cool. We didn't get a chance to catch up with him about that actually. But one of my side projects that I'm working on this year, it made me completely rethink it, and I've got a lot of ideas about how I can leverage the tool that he demonstrated to make that whole thing much easier. So yeah. that's something I'm looking forward to sinking my teeth into as well. You know what I saw next, Liam, which was surprising surprising and eye-opening was the talk on uh, tdd and ddd yeah i i actually made that one yeah. so that was on the thursday morning that was one of the few talks i got to see that was um gave me a whole new lens to look at both tdd and ddd through and i put a lot of value in the ddd um uh, what's the word in the ddd methodology in the ddd framework and far less value in the tdd side of it yeah and the way chris approached it and showed its value and how the two really work together yeah just showed me that it can add so much value and tdd doesn't necessarily have to be the bottleneck that you expect it to be yeah I agree. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, I look. I'll be the first to admit that I'm far from an expert on either TDD or DDD. But what I do know of both, I'm in the same boat. But I mean, TDD is one of those things that I just sort of thought, yeah, that's something people do in textbooks um, yeah. more than gets done in real life. DDD, of course, a lot of people do in fact use because it just makes sense. But the lens through which Chris showed us it really made me realise that actually I've I've vastly misunderstood ddd at quite a fundamental level but also yep. you know like you said the the tdd side of it what he was showing he wasn't showing oh here's tdd and here's ddd and here's how you use them together the way that he demonstrated it they were essentially the same thing mm. and it was yeah it was how the tests start to um tease apart your domain model as well as testing your code and it was i thought that was just very eye-opening for me yeah and then yeah. Without spoiling it, we might have spoken to Chris too after the after his talk. He's got an extension, a VS Code extension, which I found very just very simple, but quite um, 
what's the word, quite useful. Yeah. And that was, I think it was called Contextive. So if you... It's called Contextive, yeah. Yeah. And look, it's basically, it looks for, or you have your ubiquitous dictionary configured and you can start putting in your terminology. You can start putting in your definitions of each term from the, the domain-driven design focus. And then it uses that to do your code highlighting, which, look, I mean, honestly, I was thinking, well, we could do that with code docs. But then after speaking to Chris, it goes a lot further than that, right? Because mm. he's talking about extensions for, gosh, what, what else? He was talking about, you know, extensions, say, in Jira and Confluence. So now you can start to highlight them there or Slackbot extensions that can start to highlight that same um, ubiquitous dictionary across the rest of the organization and not just in your code, which I thought was yeah, pretty, right. pretty mind-blowing. That's right, yeah. And he's also currently, just in terms of tooling as well, developer tooling, He's he's got the VS Code extension now and he's currently working on a JetBrains extension mm-hmm. uh, and I believe he's in talks with some people about getting some help with a Visual Studio extension yeah. as well. And I, I actually shared that around internally after we spoke to him, after we saw that talk on Thursday yep. and a bunch of people at SSW were, were salivating over it. Yeah. I know. I've, I came home and I've installed it already. Yeah. So I need yeah. to start, start using it. Like it's just one of those things that starts to bring the DDD concept sort of more just part of your everyday tooling, right? That's right. Yeah. You know, you know what else was a real eye-opener? Well, could just, you know, the way that he put it when we were talking about it afterwards as well, we were talking about cucumber syntax, as mm. he calls it, or I normally call it gherkin syntax. Yep. And it was really interesting seeing how he was writing his tests using behavior-driven design uh, language. And he was he was using that kind of, that syntax, the given when then syntax, without using spec flow and w- without just writing these yeah. Gherkin files and having them generated. And he just made, you know, he made a great point. It was like, you know, you don't need to use spec flow to do BDD and to do, sorry, behavior-driven design. I don't want to say BDD because <laughs> that's... Uh, the acronym of our podcast <laughs> and he's absolutely right you know you, you don't need to use that tool to do it if, and that's just he just wrote his unit tests and that's how he wrote them exactly it was using that technology oh. but then the, the real kind of aha moment was when we when we were talking to him afterwards and having that discussion about how developers feel that the real benefit of that gherkin syntax and things like spec flow is that you send it off to the bas and you send it off to the stakeholders and it means that they can they can write it yes but actually it's, that's not what it's for. It's still the developer's responsibility to write it. The benefit is that the, the BAs can read it. Yes. And look, you know, I, there's so much there. And I'm just remembering back to what we spoke about. So I don't want to ruin it for everyone. You know, I want them to come so back for, the next episode, for one of the next episodes. Yeah, maybe we'll cut that. <laughs> no, no, I think you can leave it in as a bit of a teaser. But like, it just goes to show the depth that he's really thought about the whole testing side, the DDD side. And it's not just, you know, not just another person sort of sitting there saying, oh, you have to do it my way. You have to do it this way. This is the best way to do it because everyone says TDD is the best thing to do and it's going to solve all your problems and tie that with DDD. You know, you're not going to have any problems after this. But he's just turned around and gone, well, look, I've this is what works for me. This is how I do it. And this is what makes sense. And it just strips out so much of all the extra ceremony that goes with those frameworks. I'll, I'll call them frameworks for now or methodologies. Yeah. And it just removes a lot of that ceremony and just gets straight into it. That's right. And it's funny because you think when you think TDD, 
or, or DDD as well, right? When you, when you think in terms of these frameworks, as, as you call them, you normally think that you're going to be working within something prescriptive mm. and something that's going to have a lot of, as you say, ceremony and overhead and all kinds of things that you're doing. And then you see the way that he demonstrated it. And he literally just opened VS Code with blank files without even templates and was just creating empty text files and just building it from scratch with no ceremony at all. Mm -hmm. And, that, you know, like they say that you... You've, you've got to understand the rules thoroughly enough to be aware of when you can break them. Yep. And obviously, he has a profound level of expertise in both of these topics. <laughs> Absolutely. And look, without getting too much into the details of that one talk, one thing I noticed about the way he presented, and I think this is a good takeaway for anyone looking to do a live coding demo. Did you notice he had two scripts, one to step through the code commits and one to step back through his code commits? Yeah, that was that was neat. So yeah, he could do his cool. coding and he could do the live coding. But if anything ever got out of shape, he just rolled forward the commit and it was exactly where he knew it was meant to be. Yeah. And if he needed to speed up because he was running out of time, he just rolled forward a half a dozen commits and moved, moved up to where he wanted to be. I thought that was a yeah. really clean way to present that live coding example. And now, and I've done it now, you go back and look at his repo and it's all there, step by step. Yeah, yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've seen I've seen other approaches where people use numbered branches. Yep. Uh, in fact, that's what Pete did on Friday. And that worked well too. And I think actually he also had a script. But yes, the, the way that, that Chris did it worked really nicely. Yeah. And that would actually, that would work quite well for me because I've done demos, live coding demos in the past where I've I've literally written the code by hand. Mm -hmm. I've had, you know, the reference code on another screen just in case something goes wrong. And I've, I've had other ones where I've used the demo snippets plugin. Yep, I've used that one too. Yeah. Now that's great, except for it doesn't support XAML, unfortunately. But using this approach, of course, you can. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter because it's just it's text. In Git, right? and that, yeah, and the whole code base is exactly where you need it to be, right? You don't need to worry about, you know, am I pasting or am I adding the snippet to file one, file two, and file four? You just roll forward the code commit and you're just in the next, exactly the whole branch is where it needs to be. I thought that was yeah, quite cool. That was pretty neat. Like I said, I was only there for the Thursday, so I'm trying to think. I only managed to get around to about three or four sessions. Crisp was one of them. I want to say the, the other two I saw were surprisingly... Um, they were Maui-based. Oh, yeah? Yeah, look, one of them had some guy spruiking his book, so I don't know about that one. That sounds dodgy to me. Yeah, yeah all he did was talk I about his book. That. And the other guy was some some guy spruiking his podcast, saying he's been doing it for whatever it was, 10 years or 15 years, telling me about the history of Maui. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, you know, I'm not sure if there's much to take into that. Yeah, actually, I missed that one, um, the one on the history of Maui, which I'm a bit... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, there was no way I could make that. Yeah, was that? But I was just before your talk, or just after, that was just after your talk. That was after my talk. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that um, and that talk was from Richard Campbell. No, I say Tony. Yeah, he, you know, he's clearly got a lot more experience in podcasting than us. He does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as I said, I'm disappointed I missed that because you know, first of all, he he's obviously an excellent presenter. Mm -hmm. And second of all, just in terms of the topic, so I, you were just complaining about the, the other talk, the guy sprucing his book. So I'll try not to talk about my book too much. But the first thing I did when I sat down to write my book was write chapter one. Yep. And the intro to chapter one is how did we get here? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was fantastic. Like just researching that, writing about it. And I think 
that whole section was about 1200 words so it's it was not long at all and you know i kind of at that point just sort of felt like i wanted to make that the topic of the rest of the book yeah so uh, yeah it, it's a fa- it's a fascinating story and i'm i'm envious that that richard got to dive into it deeper than i did and tell mm-hmm. that story and i'm disappointed I, I didn't get to see it because that would have been great but like you said they're all recorded and online so i'm, I'm really looking forward to to catching up yeah. on that one that was good so tell me about the other Maui talk you saw. Um, okay, well, for the benefits of everyone else, the, the other talk was yourself. I felt I needed to be there for some moral support. <laughs> no, Which no. was much appreciated. <laughs> no, it was actually good. It was .NET Maui, clean code, and, yeah, just the way you demonstrated sort of the clean code architecture, but having your multiple projects needing access to that, I guess, the... The domain, um, the domain entities and the domain logic, right? So if you've got a Blazor app, you've got your Maui apps, you've got your APIs, like how do they just, or how do you keep it clean? I guess is the crux of it, right? Essentially, yeah. It, well, it's finding the right balance between how do you keep it clean without going to the other extreme and saying, we just won't share the code. Yes. We'll just write them all independently. Because there are benefits to be gained by sharing that code. There are benefits to be gained by having a .NET UI in a .NET full stack backend application. Yep. So it's making it was about making sure that you capitalize that, capitalize on that, and use that without going too far and tying yourself in knots to to try and make sure that you're sharing code that you actually probably shouldn't be sharing. Yeah, that's it. And a few points that I liked from that was the point when you made look, it's okay to cut and paste code or to rewrite code, right? You don't have to follow the dry principle for everything. But, and I'm trying to recall now, it's been a couple of days, but Hmm. the quote that you used there was the original purpose of the dry principle was not to replicate the knowledge. So there was only one source of truth for the knowledge. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's specifically what the dry principle means. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's not you can't have two objects in your code base that that share the same properties or even the same ten properties. You can. Well, what you can't have is is more than one thing in your code base that knows how to change the state of your system. Yeah, and that was it. And uh, one of the other ones was I liked how you were talking about composition over inheritance argument. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, it's fine. It's fine to do a bit of inheritance where it makes sense. But as you said, you don't want your you don't want your code base to look like the royal family tree. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, and I think again that just makes it it's so crystal clear when someone points it out to you. But it's so easy to get into that to fall into that trap. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it, it, then, it's a good it's a, it, it's a good topic, and it's kind of it's a bit broader than specifically .NET Maui and clean architecture and code sharing in that full stack solution. It is. Yeah, because I I did kind of go off on some tangents there, but those tangents are the most common problems that I see arising from people trying to figure out how to navigate this landscape of sharing their code. I guess the the concepts you're talking about there, and the third one I wanted to just quickly highlight just before we loop it back, was the the layer inception. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. When you're applying your layers and your abstractions, but sort of leaving it at that one level, don't dig deep into, you know, now I'm working on my presentation layer, I need to apply the clean, the clean architecture layers inside that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't need to at that point, because we've already separated out that presentation layer. And the reason I brought up those three is it really highlights to me, 
this idea that if you understand, and you mentioned it earlier, when you understand the rules, the underlying rules for why these are in place and how they are, you can use them to your advantage. And sometimes if you need to, you can skirt around them, right? Yeah. Sometimes you might need to increase the depth of your inheritance tree. Yeah. If you know when it's appropriate to skirt around it. Yeah. Now, what I find is a lot of times these days, there's a lot more emphasis on frameworks and tooling and the latest, greatest languages and whatever else is around and not enough emphasis on those underlying principles. I agree, yeah. In fact, I've, on my backlog of talks that I want to put together, I do have one that's on back to basics, um, so yep. covering um, the solid principles, design patterns, and code smells. Yep, that'd, that'd be awesome. Because, yep. you know, on my, my backlog of just things I need to get out and about into the world is the idea of just getting back to first principles, which is right, yeah. very similar to what you're talking about there. Yeah. Yeah. And something else I just want to point out as well, I was struck by how much overlap and how many parallels there were between my talk and Chris's. And there (laughs) were different topics, but just on those, just on the fundamentals, you know, there was something that he was doing towards the end. And we, we mentioned this, and again, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but there was just a part in his demo where he, he turned off all the external mutability of all his properties. Yep. And he just had methods for everything and made all the setters private. We were talking to him afterwards and he made some comment about how, you know, he was adhering to some DDD principle or another. But actually that's yeah. a that's a fundamental OOP principle. That's that's just encapsulation, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it's but I guess the um from his perspective and his point was, well, when I've done things the right way, I can hide all my public setters. And nothing breaks. And on top of that, I've got the tests to prove that nothing breaks. That's right. Yeah. And it's it was very subtle. And the way he did it in the talk was very subtle. Yeah. But it was like just this little mic drop situation right at the end. Yeah. What what for me he was really highlighting there was how if if you've done it right, everything falls into place. And all of these yeah. different principles and frameworks and methodologies, they actually they don't all say the same thing, but they complement each other. You know, you often hear people say, oh, well, if, you know, this methodology says do it this way and this one says do it that way. I think if that's how you feel, you've potentially misunderstood one or both of them because generally mm-hmm. these things tend to align at a fundamental level, you know, in terms of principles. They, they tend to all fall into place together. And, and he demonstrated that really, really effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And look, honestly, I still remember early, really early on in my career being introduced to the model view presenter pattern, MVP, then the MVC pattern, Mm. and just being so confused by these ideas and even um, dependency injection, right? Just being so confused by these relatively simple, basic ideas. Now I see that. But back then, because I was new in the career, I was making spaghetti out of this stuff. Mm. And then it, I just remember it gets to a point where the light bulb goes off and you just, once you have that realization and you stop fighting the frameworks, yeah. it's exactly what you said just then. Things just start to fall into place. Yeah. But I feel for juniors and for younger people in their career, you kind of have to go through that fight and that, as I said, making spaghetti to figure it out yourself until you get to such a point that again, everything just falls into place. And sometimes you might need the, you might need the appropriate mentors in your life to help guide you through that, but it's still something you need to do on your own. Yeah, potentially. 
Um, and I'm, I, I've got the, the hamster wheel spinning in my head, but what's occurring to me right now is that that kind of applies more, almost universally, not just to software development. Oh, 100%. And look, I'm doing it at the moment. Right. As we've said before, well, about 12 months ago, almost almost 12 months ago, I started uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and it's exactly the same thing. You know, I'm early 40s. First time in my life I've started to do a contact sport, a martial art, which is completely out of left field, completely out of my comfort zone. And yeah, my coach is sitting there telling me, you know, you've got to shift your weight here. You've got to do this. Stop, stop thinking about it so much, you know, just go with it and you know it's just follow the principles and the fundamentals Mm. and as you first start it's exactly the same and i've said to the coach i'm like look i get what you're saying i know it and i know at one point if i keep pushing and i keep trying at some point the penny's going to drop the light bulb's going to turn on and my game will completely shift gears Mm. but i still need to put in the hard yards right that's right i need to put in the reps i need to put in the hard yards i need to listen to the coaches i need the mentors there to steer me in the right direction but until such a point that that penny drops i'm still going to be floundering like i still am yeah i mean it's exactly the same principle right Mm -hmm. What, what you really want to do is move beyond those fundamentals and start tackling more advanced problems but you can't move beyond the fundamentals and tackle the more advanced problems until those fundamentals are second nature. Absolutely. That's the same in martial arts and in, you know, software development or really any discipline. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you never lose it too, right? Again, like going back to my own experience, when I first started running, I had a coach basically retraining me how to run. Mm. And at this point I was 30 years old. So I had lots of life experience teaching myself the wrong way to run. And when I was started picking up longer distances, I had a coach teaching me how to run more efficiently, <laughs> Yeah, which worked wonders. But even now, 10, 15 years later, I still need to remind myself to focus on my technique, right? Yeah, it's still there. I still have it. It's still embedded and I've still got it. And I've sort of made that leap that I've been yeah. speaking of, but you still need to remind yourself. And to bring this full circle, to bring it completely full circle, I understand the uh, the concepts of TDD and DDD, but it wasn't until seeing Chris do it that just reminded me I need to brush up on those skills a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm under no illusions that those are skills that I don't need to brush up on. I absolutely do. But um, no, I think it's interesting because you, there yep. are some skill. You know, that people talk about something being like learning to ride a bike yep. because once you've learned it you never forget and some people are like that but other skills are what they call perishable skills and there are things that if you don't mm-hmm. practice those skills you do lose them absolutely but you certainly pick them up very quickly again when you get back to them on that note i could have yep. spoken about this so you know so I, i've done a, a fair bit of martial arts in the past and it's not something i've been doing for a few years and i, I found a local place uh, a, a local um place that i've been had my eye on and wanted to sign up for, and my plan was always after NDC, so I'm going to go next week. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's look, I only did it because my son started doing it, and, you know, he's only five at the moment, and I always said I don't want a 16-year-old kid being able to throw me across the room and choke me out. Um, Yeah. So mainly it's for my own my own future self-benefit. Hmm. But honestly, I really love the challenges, the problem-solving aspect, the physicality of it. Like I said, I'm not 
I've never really done any contact sports in my life, but this is just something completely different. It's completely out of left field. And I tell you what, it's, I thought I was fit beforehand. It's a completely different yeah. level of fitness. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's hit really. Hit, uh, yeah. High intensity interval training. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's massive. Like my heart rate spikes for six minutes straight and it doesn't get yeah. a rest. And then it's rests for a minute and then it's up again for another six. And, you know, I've done similar things, but not, um, you know, I've done like sprint training and whatnot, but not, not a martial art. And yeah, like I said, it's just this starting the training this year for the hundred that I'm doing now, I am far fitter purely because of that extra level of training that I'm doing. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? So your, your recovery, your recovery time. So, you know, when you're doing sort of stretches of uphill or what have you, your recovery time will come right down. Yeah. 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 My, my, um. That's VO2 max is at the moment, well, according to my watch, which is not overly accurate, but at the moment, my VO2 max is higher than it was when I was at peak training last time. So, yeah. Anyway, go. that's, um, that's, that's enough about training. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we could talk about, we could do a whole episode on it, of course. Yeah, it was a big weekend because because we had NDC, um, I missed my Friday morning session, right, Thursday morning training session. Missed that one and then... Missed Friday because I had to be in the office at stupid o'clock in the morning. So right. yesterday I ended up having to do my Saturday run and my Thursday run. Yeah, and then today I did my Sunday run. So it's been a massive weekend in the way of running. Yeah. Speaking of uh, stupid o'clock in the morning in the office, another person we chatted to on Thursday was Nick Randolph. Yep. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because he obviously lives here in New South Wales in in Sydney. Yep. Um, he's currently working pretty much exclusively full time with the Uno platform team, who are all based in yeah. Canada. So I think he was telling us that he's he's what were his, what sort of hours was he saying he was doing? He's working starting at two a.m. or yeah, something. I think it was. I can't remember now. Sounded sounded brutal. Yeah. But you know, he's doing amazing things there with them too, which is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I sadly missed his talk this year, which is a shame because that was another really awesome topic. Yeah. Uh, and he's also another fantastic presenter. Uh, in fact, I've seen him present. Well, I've seen him present on a few things actually, but I've seen him present on Uno platform before yeah. as well. Uh, and he did. There was a, just such a great mic drop moment in his talk. Uh, so he's you know clicking through, doing his demos, um, and he says, "And that is how you run WinUI on Linux." And it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mic drop moments, that was Thursday yeah. night, right? Oh. <laughs> That was Thursday night, Thursday yeah. Night. yeah. You know, Thursday night, NDC Thursday nights are always the party night, which is fun. And this year, I think for the first time, they did karaoke. You are. Yeah, which I would say moderately, moderately successful. Yeah, right. There's a few people who got up and had a Yeah, you know, I mean, you hit out a banger or two, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I did, yeah. <laughs> nah, it was good fun. <laughs> and then uh, I discovered afterwards that Costa filmed the whole thing and sent it to my <laughs> office. <laughs> awesome. Now, look, I think yours... I was I didn't realize it was you until towards the end, and I came in. You sounded like you were doing all right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was actually one last thing I wanted to see or to talk about. Right, believe it or not, and I don't these days. I don't think a lot of people believe it from me, but I classify myself as an introvert. Right, and Mm -hmm. growing up, I was extremely introverted, and it wasn't until relatively later in life that. I had someone explain to me, right, the difference between introvert and extrovert is not necessarily that you just 
want to be alone or you don't like you just want to be by yourself and you don't like big groups or vice versa it's more where do you draw your energy from right yeah i you know 90 percent of the time i'll draw my energy from being alone doing my own thing having downtime and just working with working on with myself right but yeah oddly enough when i get to events like like ndc and honestly, even doing conversations like this with you on the podcast, I end up getting this extra level of energy that I just never have any other time, right? That's cool. And it just, yeah. keeps, it just awesome. keeps you going. And it's one of those few times that, yeah, I just, I want to be in with people. I want to be there. Yeah, socializing and meeting new people, whereas normally that's not quite me. Interesting. Well, NDC, certainly the right environment yeah. for it. And I, it's interesting because I, I, I consider myself an ambivert. So sometimes I will get a recharge from some downtime mm-hmm. on my own. Sometimes I'll get a recharge from being around other people. I've, I found that about 10-ish years ago, probably no, that's not quite right, about five years ago, the balance of that flipped a bit. Maybe it's an age thing or maybe it's uh, too many things going on in my life thing but but i i do tend to find the balance has shifted so when i was younger it would be the downtime where i needed to be on my own was few and far between and i would just get energized by being around other people i was much more leaning towards extrovert um and it didn't it didn't sort of progress along a spectrum it just flipped somewhere along the way about five years Mm -hmm. ago so i still get that energy from being around other people but i also but now i more so get it from just having some downtime on my own so I don't know what happened there, but what I found with NDC, well, I mean, I guess it was a different scenario for me this year because I had quite a lot of stress getting yeah. things ready for things that I was presenting and, and, and everything else. But I, I did find that it was, it was just flipping back and forth. Like I was just getting so energized being around people and, and I was, I was having to spend time on my own because I needed to get things done, but I was really getting that sort of energy and, and getting revitalized from the time I was spending around people. But now that it's over and I'm back home on my own, I'm, I'm glad yeah. of it. In fact, actually, so Friday, right at the very end on Friday, um, just as we were kind of all wrapping up, um, some of my colleagues from SSW, just, you know, a few people went to the bar. Everyone was excited and, and I just, I was going to go. And then just at, kind of at the last minute, I just couldn't do it. I just had to go back to the hotel and yeah. relax. I know what you mean. I think, and I put this in a tweet earlier, um, I think on Friday, right? When I went to the talk that Scott Hanselman did on Wednesday night up at Microsoft, he mentioned a theory that I've never heard of before, the spoon theory. And mm. basically it's just a metaphor for measuring your your energy levels, right? Based on how many yeah. spoons you have. And it wasn't until hearing, or I heard that on the Wednesday night and then Friday, yeah, it was the same. I got to a point where, you know, my wife asked me questions about planning for the weekend and I kind of put it into that. I use the lens of the spoon theory to go, okay, well, how do I answer this? Like, what do I commit to? Cause I knew by Friday I was quite drained and I didn't have a lot of energy and sure. I could probably commit to what she was asking about, but you know, if anything happened that was not part of the plan, I would have just completely just been drained at that point And, you know, It's just Mm. the time when you don't want to be anywhere and you just want to be in bed. So being able to just reflect on that, I think, was was quite valuable to be able to just say, okay, yes, I've had a good week. I've been energized all week. 
but there's been some massively late nights, early mornings, and you know what? I just need to need to say my I don't have the capacity to handle that anymore. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of no capacity to hand, handle much more, getting pretty late. <laughs> nice. It's a Sunday night. It's almost nine o'clock after such a big week and a big weekend. Did yeah. You, yes. Did you get yourself a beer. Uh, no, I am actually. So this week was we had Valentine's mm-hmm. Day and. I was away, so I sent through some flowers for Megan mm-hmm. and Riley, which they got for me, and Megan got me. You can't see because I don't have my camera today. I haven't. I actually took it with me to NDC, as as you know. I haven't set it back yep. up yet. So I'm holding it up, but really just to admire it rather than to show you. I've got a beautiful bottle oh, of Lagavulin. Nice. So that I'm having a, a, a awesome. wee dram. What, what, are you, um, what are you drinking? I'm just getting through the case of little creatures that I've had in the fridge for a couple of weeks. I think it's nice. almost done. I reckon I'm going to start planning a brew because I think the weather's, I hope the weather's going to start to calm down soon and be able to actually get a brew on. Super keen to get one going. Yeah. Yeah. I've still got to try and rescue this lager. I, I think I need to, it's been sitting there for months and months and months in the kegerator and it's, it's carbonated, but it's not, it's not fully fermented. So I have to purge off the CO2 and decant it back into a fermenter and pitch some more yeah. yeast and, and, if it if it works great if not i can't drink it it's still a lot of effort it is yeah i mean it's is it more effort than starting a fresh brew no probably not but given what we've just said about last week i don't i think it's too much more effort than to consider at the moment I'm I'm probably not doing that until maybe April. I'm not waiting for the weather to look like it might calm down i'm waiting to know the weather is calm and i have more energy you know what else I'm really excited for, Liam, for this year is I've kind of realized that, you know, last year was a big year with the book. And then, you know, I had some family stuff mm. going on and then I had some, you know, quite a lot going on at work and, and some other stuff. And then the commitment for the workshop and the talk and, you know, a few other things. And I've realized that I currently have no commitments now. And I'm really excited for all of the side projects that I'm going to work on this year that that don't have deadlines. Yeah, I think you mentioned it the other day, but I just want to check. When you've got all these, you realize that you've got rid of all the commitments off your plate, do you kind of sit there feeling like, shit, I feel like I should be doing something. I feel like there's something needing my attention, but I don't know what it is right now. Yes, that's true. That's exactly how I feel. But I'm forcing myself to get used to it and to get comfortable with not having, not feeling like I have something. Well, my advice there is to enjoy that, enjoy it while it lasts, and don't rush into the next thing. You don't want to burn yourself out. No, well, you know, I, I'm not saying I won't commit to anything that publicly, like you know, if I do any youth groups or speaking engagements or things that I publish or what have you, I'll, I'll do those things this year. But I won't do it the way I normally do it, which is where I have something that's some stage of complete that isn't 100, percent and then I commit to it to get to push myself to get yeah. that deadline. I'll do it the other way around. Once I've got something that I'm comfortable with, then I'll I'll shop it around and say, here's a talk, here's a blog post, here's a video. But I mean, the projects that I'm working on this year, there'll be things that I want to present on them, but it will be because I want to show off what I've done. They're not, they're not to support public engagements. These are things like, well, there's some things for the side business. There's also um, some, you know, some game projects, some software projects. There's a hardware project that I'm really excited about that I've been talking about for about 25 years and have only 
incrementally chipped away at and, and I'm hopefully going to make a bigger dent awesome. in that this year. So, yeah, I, I've got a lot awesome. of excitement. One thing I've learned from myself this year is I go in a very um, cyclic or a sinusoidal type manner where I take on mm. too much of a workload. I commit to too many things. Then I pretty much burn myself out and I get through those commitments and I just turn around and start saying no to basically everything. And then I get bored. Yep. I start to get bored yeah. and because I get bored, I start committing myself to many things and things pop up or keep yeah. popping up and you just keep committing to them and then you start getting overloaded again. So I started doing it last year, but I want to do it this year where I um, sort of make sure it's a bit more of a, a flat line and I don't go up and down in my commitments like that. Mm, that's a challenging balancing act, but it certainly looks like there are certainly people that make it look like it's achievable well matt that was an awesome recap of ndc last week i can't wait to get the recordings that we made out hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll start getting some of those out yeah i'm excited for that too it was an awesome conference we managed to capture some awesome behind the scenes conversations that yes i'm also excited Mm. to share but right now i think i need to sleep (laughs) so i think that's it for this week's episode of the sleep driven devs (laughs) the sleep deprived devs that's right yeah there you go sdd Awesome. Well, I'm Liam Elliott. I'm Matt Goldman. Cheers. Cheers. The Beer Driven Devs podcast is recorded and produced on Dorawal and Darkenjung land. 